way of life. When God created you, He made you to flourish in an atmosphere of worship. Today, we'll be looking at the five things we need to know about worship. This message is the fifth in the series, Fresh. The message is entitled, Fresh Worship, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, this morning, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word together. We're involved in a series of messages called Fresh. And I want to talk to us this weekend and next weekend about a very important part of your spiritual life. I want to talk to you about developing freshness in your worship. How do you become a fresh worshiper of God? Because you'll never have a fresh life unless you learn to be a fresh worshiper. There are certain things in life that we might call essential to life and health. For a plant, for example, for a plant to grow, a plant has to be obviously in soil that has the right nutrients, the right minerals to feed it. It has to have water and sun, carbon dioxide. Any of those things, all those things are necessary for a plant to become fruitful. If you remove any of those elements, the plant will not be as fruitful as it potentially could be. And the same is true for you and me. There are certain things in life that are essentials to life. And one of those things is worship. God created you, God made you to flourish in an atmosphere of worship. That's God's plan for your life. Worship is, if you will, to us like the light and the carbon dioxide and the soil and the sun and the rain is to a plant. Worship is that to us. And worship is not just a way of life. Worship is the way to life. It's the way to experience all the life that God has for you. And when people make wrong choices about worship or when people choose to worship the wrong kinds of things in life, they get into lots of trouble. Much of the trouble that we experience in our life all really relates back to the choices we made regarding our worship. And it can happen to us as believers. Even as believers in Jesus Christ, we can begin to grow cold in our worship. We can compromise our worship. We can lose some of that fire, that passion in our soul to worship and honor and serve God. And I want to talk to you about, as I said a moment ago, how do you have a fresh life in God by freshening this whole dimension of worship? Because an important part of a fresh life is worship. And this week I'm going to talk to you about two things. Next weekend we'll talk about three additional things. So I hope you'll be back as I conclude this part of the series. We'll continue on in the series after next week as well. But just for a two-part weekend together talking about worship. The first thing I want you to write down this weekend and be aware of is that who and what you worship matters. Who and what what you worship matters. You were born a worshiper and you are a worshiper. And whether you realize it or not, every person here today, every person in Gaithersburg, Frederick, we're all worshipers of something. You're worshiping someone or you're worshiping something. When God gave His people the very first set of commandments after they came out of Egypt, He's now beginning to prepare them as a nation of His people that He will work in, the nation of Israel that He will work in as a signed nation for years to come, in fact, continuing into today. When He pulled His people together, He gave them a set of laws called the Ten Commandments. And God gave them the ten big rules. He said, here are the ten things I want you to remember about relating to me. These are things that actually are principle rules that give order to all areas of life. And I want you to listen with me. In fact, let's read together Exodus chapter 20, the first five verses. And let's see what God starts out with when it comes to, to this whole dimension of commandments given to mankind. Let's read together. And God spoke all these words. Hey, let's start again. You ready? And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God says before we start talking about any of the moral issues for life, let me establish something important, God says to each one of us as human beings. He says, I want you to know that I am the Lord your God. I'm the one that redeemed you. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. Speaking to the Israelites, of course, to us as those who've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, brought out, brought out of slavery to sin. And he says, I'm the one that has redeemed you. Have no other gods before me. That is, don't worship anyone or anything in place of me. And don't form any idols and bow down to them. God's people being removed from Egypt, they had been removed from the gods of Egypt. In fact, if you study the history of the, uh, the, the deliverance of God's people from Egypt, you find out that every plague that God executed against the, 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 the Egyptians were plagues against the gods of Egypt. And so God had delivered them from the idolatry of Egypt into fellowship with Him. Now, often when a pastor or teacher or someone speaks of idols, we have kind of this concept of idolatry that includes maybe a sort of statue somewhere that people bow down to and worship or a temple they go to where there's all kind of graven images there and people perform various religious acts toward these, these forms of art or idolatry that we think of in terms of the natural sense. But what I want you to understand is that idolatry is not just related to that. In fact, we as human beings, no matter where we are in life, even as believers in Jesus Christ, can engage in idolatry. Because idolatry really is this, it's giving anything or anyone other than God, God-like status in your life. It's giving anyone or anything the status in your life of a controlling interest that only God should have. See, God says, put no other gods before me. Don't let there be any controlling interest in your life that surplants me. Don't bow down to, don't worship, don't give yourself to anything or anyone in a, in a substitute for me. And so in reality, we can today, although we may not bow down to heathen images, we can engage in idolatry by putting other things before God. In fact, there are lots of people, even as believers, that have established pleasure and comfort as their idol. That they're willing to sacrifice almost anything for pleasure or for comfort. There are people who put material things before God, that they'll do almost anything to gain that new car or that new house or that new whatever it might be or that set of possessions that they feel like would be valuable to them. And so they, they go all out for that and put God at a second level or third level in their life because they're going after something that they want. And so today I want to remind you that idolatry is not just about being bowing down before graven images, but it's about making anything more important to you than God. And so let me stop for a moment and just ask you, are there any idols in your life? Are you worshiping anything other than God being number one? If you surplanted God with other things in your life, and the issue here for us is very important. What you worship matters because it determines what you become, and that's a key principle. Whatever you worship is going to determine what you become in life. 
Let me take you to 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 14 and 15, and this is the record of the kings of Israel and Judah, and let me uh, read for you a portion of what happened to the people of Judah as they turned away from God. The Bible says, records of them, but they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected His decrees and the covenant He had made with their ancestors and the statutes He had warned them to keep. They followed, what does it say there? Circle that in your notes. They followed what? Worthless idols. And would you read the next statement with me? And themselves became, because they were worshiping the wrong thing, they became the wrong thing. And so what you worship matters because what you worship or who you worship will determine who or what you become. It goes on to say they imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. Let me stop there for a moment and say this. We live, whether you recognize it or not, we live in an idolatrous culture. The a culture that we live in, in fact, the spirit of the world, whether it be in the United States of America or you can travel all around the world and you will find that the spirit of the world is a spirit of idolatry. And Jesus reminded us that we are in the world, but we're never to be a part of the world. And what he's talking about is this, that we're not to adopt the worship of the world. See, the world is worshiping all kinds of things all kinds of people, all kinds of pursuits. And God says, look, you need to be different. You need to be set apart from the world around you. And the problem of Israel and Judah, what they did is they started worshiping the very things their culture worshiped. And so we have to make some hard choices at times about who and what we're going to worship, what we will reject and what we'll accept in terms of worship. And the important thing to remember here is this, whatever you worship or whoever you worship will determine who or what you become. It establishes the destiny of your life. Let me explain it this way. If you worship the wrong things throughout your life, when you get to, your, to the end of your life, you will have lived a worthless life. Because let me tell you what real worth is. Real worth is the things that will outlast you, the things that last into eternity, right? See, worth is not in wealth because when you die, you leave it all behind. You can't take it with you. I've told you before, there are no U-Hauls attached to hearses. You can't take anything with you. And so when you leave this world, you will leave whatever you accumulated here of possessions, you will leave it behind. And there's nothing in the Bible that is against possessions, but it reminds us not to value them at a higher level, not to worship them. And so anything that you pursue in life that is less than God, it will, when you get to the end of your life, it's not really going to matter for eternity. And I want to live my life, and I believe that you do as well, that when I get to the end of my life, I have lived a life that really mattered. How about you? That I'm passing something on to my children and to my grandchildren and to my great-grandchildren, to the church that I had the privilege of serving, to the people that I had the opportunity of knowing that I've left something behind of a godly legacy with my life, and I've also taken something with me into eternity, that I've laid up treasures, not here on earth, but I've also laid up treasures for eternity, so that when I spend the rest of my life in eternity with God, I have now accumulated what really matters for eternity. And so the real choice of your life today is to understand that I've got to make some hard choices about who or what I worship, who or what I put as number one in my life because it really matters. It is forming my character. It is determining my destiny. Here's the second thing to remember today is that right worship is something you need. It's something that you need. 
There are things in life that are nice, and there are things in life that are necessary, correct? Some things you've said it before, that would be nice to have. Anybody said it before? You saw something you wanted? Oh, that would really be nice to have, but I don't really need it. Oh, it would be nice, but I don't really need it. Other things you actually need. For example, food and drink. You have to have that to be sustained. Now, you don't need ice cream. It's nice to have, but you can live without it, right? But there's certain things, there's certain nutritional elements to your body that you will not survive. Water, you can't go but about three days approximately without taking in some, some, some water, some hydration for your system. You need it in your body. It's not a, it's not a nicety, it is a necessity. And so it's important when you go through life to be able to divide what is a need and what is a nicety, what is a necessity, and what is something that would simply be nice to have. And I want to tell you this morning is that worship is not a nicety, worship is a necessity. Worship is not something nice to do. Worship is something that you need to do. You need to be a worshiper of God. The right kind of worshiper is an essential element of your success in life. It is vital. It is essential. It is necessary to your productivity, to you being everything that God wants you to be. See, when God created you and me, He created you to flourish in the element, in the atmosphere of worship. And what I want to do for the next few moments is give you some reasons why you ought to be a worshiper of God, the only true living God revealed to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Why should He be number one in your life? Why should you focus your full attention of worship on Him? I'm going to give you three reasons why you ought to worship. I'm going to ask you to read them together with me. They're there on your notes. The first reason why you and I should worship is because what does worship do? It welcomes God's presence. It welcomes God's presence. Does anyone need God in their life? Come on, do you need God in your life? You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't need God. I need God in my life. I need God in my marriage. I need God in my family. I need God. We need God in our church. We need God in our community. We need God in our life. And to worship is one of the ways that we actually open up ourselves and say, God, we are welcoming you to come into our world. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your comfort. We need your victory. We need your breakthroughs in our lives. I did a little bit of research on the word welcome because I, while it's a word that most of us know, and I think all of us grasp something of the meaning of the word welcome, I realized that in searching the word out, it actually goes back in history to a word that means actually the beginning of the word welcome was the word will come, will you come, that when you open up your house, you welcome or you invite people, will you come? That's the idea, welcome, will come. And so when you and I worship, we're saying, God, will you come into our lives? Will you come and abide with us? Will you come and work in us? And by the way, that is an entreaty, that is an invocation that God always answers. The Bible says that if you will draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Take a look at Psalm chapter 22, verse number 3. I love this passage. I'm reading now from the International Version. I'm going to describe this from another version here in a moment. It says, you, yet you, speaking of God, are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. One translation says it this way. You are the Holy One. You are enthroned on the praises of your people. Praise is equivalent to worship. It's part of worship. 
And what verse is saying is that when you and I praise and worship God, think of it this way. We establish, if you will, in our lives, in our world, a throne. And a throne is meant for a king. It is meant for a ruler. And so when you and I open up our lives in worship, we lift our hands in worship, we raise our voices in worship, we live a life of worship, we're, what we're doing is we're, we're building a throne in our lives. We're saying, God, would you come and sit on this throne? Would you come and rule in me? Would you come and rule in my family? I welcome you to take your seat of authority in my life. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, a great passage about the welcoming of God's presence through worship. The Bible says here of the, of the dedication of the temple, the trumpeters and, trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpet, cymbals, and other, other instruments. The singers raised their voices in what? Praise to the Lord. That is, they're worshiping and saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord did what? Fill the temple of God. How did God show up in the temple? He didn't show up just because they built it. He showed up because the people in it were doing what? They were worshiping. See, God is not obligated to show up in something you build structurally, but God will show up when people arrive there and begin to worship. That's one of the things I love about church. When we come together and our worship leaders invite us to begin to sing praise and adoration to God and to engage in worship, what is happening is this. We are welcoming, we're building a throne for God in this place and welcoming Him. And what I will tell you is that God shows up and every weekend as we gather, lives are being changed, lives are being transformed. The glory of God shows up and does things for people that only He could do. Worship matters because worship welcomes God's presence. It's not nice to be a worshiper. You need to be a worshiper. You need to be a worshiper. The second thing that's important to understand about worship is it helps us become holy, healthy, and whole. When you and I worship, there's something that happens. Again, worship is not just a way of life. It is that, and we'll talk more about that next week. But worship is a way to life. Say that with me. Worship is a way to life, not just a way of life. It is a way to life. When you worship, you're stepping into life. Why? Because God, any encounter with God gives you life. Ask Lazarus. When Jesus showed up at Lazarus' tomb and said, roll the stone away, he'd already told Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Jesus ruined every funeral he went to. Why? Because he shows up and he is the author of life. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so when you and I encounter God, we encounter life. There is a word in the Greek language, it's the word zoe. It is a life that speaks of a fullness, a richness of life, a vitality of life. And what I've learned is that when I become a worshiper, life happens to me and life happens around me. I begin to experience something more of God's holiness. I begin to be transformed by that holiness. I begin to become a little bit more healthy in the way I think about God and the way that I relate to the world around me. I begin to become more whole on the inside. The broken pieces of my life begin to be put back together. See, it's not just nice to be a worshiper. You need to be a worshiper because you need holiness, you need health, and you need wholeness in your life. Isaiah the prophet understood this when he was called of God. 
to begin to be a prophet in the, in the land of Judah. And notice in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, he's giving us insights, a personal testimony here. He said, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their faces, with two that covered their feet, with two that were flying. And it goes on to say that he heard the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. I want to get the picture here. Here is Isaiah the prophet. And King Uzziah died, and he'd been most likely serving King Uzziah for a number of years, but he says, in the year that King Uzziah died. That's a message for another day. I'll preach it sometime, all right? In the year King Uzziah died. Sometimes some things have to die in your life before you can see God, okay? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He said, I had this encounter with God, and I saw him. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I heard these angels. They were singing a song, and the song was, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And so what happens here in this moment is that Isaiah is caught up in an environment, in an atmosphere of worship. And he begins to engage in worship. He begins to experience the beauty of God's presence because he's engaging with the angels, with the heavenly heavenly beings in worship. Now, what happens next is not there on your notes or or in your your scriptures there on your pages. You can read it uh, on your own time, Isaiah chapter 6. But what happens next is this. Isaiah says, while I'm worshiping, Something happens, I see myself and I say, whoa, it's me, I am undone because I realize something, I'm worshiping this holy God, but I'm not so holy myself. Anybody ever had that encounter with your own life? You know what, God's holy, but I'm not, I'm not where I need to be. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I've seen the Lord Almighty, He, he begins to be troubled because he sees the ugliness in his own life. Dear ones, let me say something to you. I hope you'll hear this. Everybody has ugliness in your life. And the wonderful thing about God is that he sees your ugliness and he's willing to help you out of it. Isn't that beautiful to know? Your ugliness does not push God away. And when you begin to worship, yes, sometimes the ugliness of our lives comes to the surface, but it always comes to the surface for a reason. It comes so that it can be actually exchanged for God's righteousness. It can be something can happen in your life so that your life can be transformed. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, I saw myself, and I felt like there is no hope for me. And I want you to see what happens there next. In the next verses we'll read there is verses 6 and 7. Here's Isaiah suffering in his own sense of agony about his own sin. Then he said, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched my lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is beautiful because in the context of worship, Isaiah became a more holy man. In the context of worship, he was able to confront sin in his life but God was able to touch him at his point of need and transform him. The beautiful thing about worship is that you're worshiping God when you worship him in spirit and truth and you truly open up your life to him. God is able to take coals from the altar and by his fire touch places in your life and change you in ways that you'll never, ever be the same again. Isn't that beautiful? Let me give you another story that you're familiar with. Luke chapter 17 is a story again of a man becoming holy, healthy, whole in the context of worship. There were 10 lepers that came to Jesus one day, and they they obviously wanted to be cured from their their leprosy. It was impossible to be cured in those days, and so their only hope was Jesus. 
And notice what happens to them after the ten. They're sent on their way to the priest to confirm their healing. And the verse, verse 15 says, And one of them, one of the ten, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice glorifying God. And so there were ten men that were healed. Everybody say ten men with me. Ten men. Okay. How many men were there? How many men were healed? Very important. All ten were healed, correct? Jesus healed all ten of them. But it says that one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. There's joy in that verse as I read it, but there's also sadness that only about one out of every ten ever return. There are a lot of people that God does some wonderful things in their lives and they never come back to say thank you. They never come back to give back for what God has done for them. Let me tell you something. God's plan for your life is not just to get. When you get, it's now so you can give back part of what you've received from Him. It's an ongoing flow. And so this man, he got it. He understood. He returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his, fa- on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And so what does this man come back and do? He comes back and he engages in worship. He comes back as a worshiper. The other nine go away and they choose to experience something of God but never become worshipers. This man says, I'm not just going to get, I'm coming back to give in worship to God. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Of course, he, he was a Samaritan. And he said to him, arise, go your way, read the rest with me. Your faith has made you well. Underline that passage in your notes there. Your faith has made you well. Now you might say, well, all the other nine were well too. What did this guy get that the other nine didn't get? I'll tell you what he got. Because the, the, the maybe a, a fuller translation of that word, your faith has made you well. In fact, I believe one translation renders it this way. Your faith has made you whole. See, the other nine were healed, but this one guy became whole. Let me tell you something. It's one thing to be healed. It's another thing to be whole. Amen? I don't want just the healing of God in my life. I want wholeness. What is wholeness all about? Wholeness is about the broken places of your life being put back together again. And whether you realize it or not, I think most of us do, we have broken places in us. And when you and I begin to engage in worship, what God does over a period of time, it might take a year or two years or five years or 10 years or 25 years or 50 years of worship. But what God is doing every time you worship Him is He's taking that broken piece over here. He's putting it back together. He's mending your life. He is making you whole. Isaiah the prophet said it this way, he is the one, Messiah is the one who is able to take your ashes and make something beautiful out of them. So why is worship so important? So you need to be a worshiper. It's not just nice to worship. You need to be a worshiper. Why? Because it's your way to healing, holiness, and wholeness. Here's your third thing, and with this we're going to wrap up today. It prepares you to say yes to God's work and will. I think theoretically most of us want to say yes to God's will. By the way, let me tell you something so you, get, so you don't get confused about this. Where do you find God's will for your life? Listen closely. God's will is found right here in this book called The Word. Okay? If you'll learn to live according to the Bible, just take what the Bible says, you will always be in the will of God. A lot of people try to find out God's will by these sort of inside feelings. Let me say something. Your feelings matter little. 
Because you feel something one moment and you'll feel something the next. Your feelings, you can't trust your feelings. The Bible's very clear about that. Now, feelings add to and enrich life at times, and they can, be, they can affect life, and sometimes they can be symptomatic of things in our lives, but never, ever be led by a feeling. Be led by the Word, amen? Build your life on the principles of God's Word. And so don't get confused about what the will of God is. A lot of people get very mystical about God's will. I found out over my, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and I found if I'll just do what the book says, I'll, I'll be where I need to be doing what I need to do. Just live it out. But here's the problem. We can read the stuff in the Bible and theoretically say, yes, I, I want to do that, yes, God. But, but when it comes down to really doing it, it becomes a challenge, doesn't it? Let's say that you know that you're in a relationship that is wrong. It's not the right kind of relationship. And you know based on the Bible that God says, that's not a good, healthy relationship for you. And you can theoretically say, well, yes, I know that's right, God. But when it comes time to dealing with the relationship, have you discovered it's a lot harder to say yes in those moments? And it's true for every realm of life. You can realize, for example, that giving to God is, is something God expects you to do. But when it comes right down to that moment of writing the check or extending yourself in service to someone, it, 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 you begin to think a little bit more hard. I'm not sure I really want to do that. But let me tell you what worship does. Worship prepares you. It establishes in you this supple environment, this flexible, flexible environment in your heart to respond to God with a yes, to say yes to Him. Notice what happens to Isaiah. Remember, we talked about him a moment ago. He enters into this experience of worship. He has this encounter seeing himself. After seeing himself, God touches him. And then notice what happens next. Then, this is verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. What did Isaiah say? He said, Yes, God, now that you've dealt with me, I'm willing to do. Live according to your word and live according according to your will. Let me say it this way again, as I said a moment ago. Worship is not something that is nice. Worship is something you need to do in your life. Are you a worshiper? You say, well, I want a fresh life. I, I, I'm into this fresh thing, Pastor. I really want freshness in my life. You can't find freshness of life without beginning to build freshness in your worship. Let's bow our heads together in prayer today. Father, thank you for your word. We're so grateful for the opportunity we've had this day to study together. We thank you that you've spoken to us about worship, that worship is not just nice. It's a necessity for us. And I pray for any of us that have allowed idolatry to enter into us. Lord, it's so easy for that to happen. We ask this morning that in Jesus' name that you would help us to sincerely and genuinely repent, to come before you and to cast aside our idols and once again say, God, you're number one in our lives. I pray, Father, for those that maybe have struggled with broken areas of their heart and places of unholiness in their life and places where, Lord, maybe they just need a touch of your healing. I pray that as they become worshipers, they will have faith to realize that you're going to do something in them. You're the restorer of our souls as we worship you. Lord, take this word and seal it in our hearts, Lord, for all the folks in Frederick, all those here in Gaithersburg campus today. We pray that you'd work deeply in every heart and every life. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, 
getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and He saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.